the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. It's been a while. It's been over six months since we last published an episode. And in that episode, we explained that we were putting the podcast on pause while we really thought through the direction of Beanages and focused on doubling down into our niche of e-commerce, so really transforming ourselves into e-commerce growth accountants. So we, we've been working on that and, and that's going well and we actually have an app in the e-commerce accounting space that we're working on. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking with with Matt, who is the developer for this product, this the app, and we'll be recording this as a series, so working in public series. So some of the highlights from today's episode are hearing from Matt about how he identified the problem. So he was having previously exited a business, he was looking for his next problem to solve. So you'll hear about the way that he approached finding the problem, looking at the opportunity from a business perspective getting started and, and what he focused on to get to the point of being ready, having the app ready for beta testers. And then we also hear about his previous business, which was an app in the Shopify store and some of the lessons that he learned running that business for seven or eight years. We hear about his exit and and what that process was like and some of the things that he's going to be applying in this new business that he learned from his previous experiences. So next up, I'll welcome Matt. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. It's great to be recording another episode of the Beanages podcast. And today we're talking with Matt Stubbs. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Meryl. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So I thought we'd start with a little bit of background about why we're recording this episode. And in fact, this is not just one episode that we're recording, but a working in public series. And some of the regular listeners may remember that a couple of years ago, Wayne, who is a Beninger's partner in the US, and I actually recorded a working in public series sharing two different projects we were working on and the highs and lows and hold, holding each other accountable. And that was quite a popular series. And Matt and I, together with Tracy Newman, are working on another project at the moment. And we thought it would be interesting to do this working in public style of series again. And selfishly, some of my favorite podcasts like Bootstrap Web, The Art of Product, and even the Tropical MBA, the early episodes there were really this working in public style where people were talking, the, the show hosts were talking about something they were working on at the moment and think the, the challenges they were having, things that they were learning. And I, I find these some of the most insightful podcast episodes and, and the things that I learned the most in terms of practical ideas that I can go and implement in my business. So from a, a selfish perspective, I'm trying to create some of the episodes that I enjoy listening to on other podcasts. And then I think it's also a great way to cement your own learning. So if you're, if Matt, Tracy and I, thinking every week or every fortnight about the kinds of things that we're learning, the decisions that we're making. And then by scheduling a time to record a podcast, we're actually forcing ourselves to stop and reflect and convey that learning. I think that that's actually really good for us as well. 
and our own learning. And something that I'd recommend everyone do, whether it's recording a podcast or writing a blog post or, or taking notes along the way. So that's a bit of background about why we're recording this series from my perspective. And I should probably actually mention what we're working on too before I hand over to Matt to get his perspective on why he's interested in in recording this series. So Matt is a developer and Tracy is the original founder of Cloud Counting, which merged with Bean Ninjas, if you've been following that story, back in December of 2021. And so we're all working on a product together in the e-commerce accounting space. It's an app that called Crossbeam that connects Zero and Neato. And so this working in public series is going to be talking about what we're learning, the challenges we're facing in, in building this product. So Matt, over to you now, and I'd love to hear a little bit about why you're interested in, in joining this podcast and recording this series. So thanks, Meryl. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm a developer that's worked on SaaS products for a while. And something that I think is common to sort of bootstrap founders and developers like myself is that we, I mean, I tend to shy away from doing marketing and talking about what I'm working on. I'm, I'm sort of, I don't think I'm uh, alone in that, but I tend to focus just on building the product and getting my head buried in the product and the design and the code and things like that. And so having a scheduled time to sit down with you and just talk through what I'm working on and the problems I've had and how I solve them and what I'm thinking about, I think is not only a good way to organize my own thoughts about what I'm focused on and what I what I need to do next, but also get some visibility and build some conversation about you know what we're working on and why we're doing it. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's dive right into it. So what have you been working on this week? And actually, I guess because we're doing the first episode, you've been working on this product for more than a week. But why don't we start there in terms of what you're focusing on right now? And that might also provide some context around what Crossbeam is too. Sure. So, so I mean, Crossbeam is a SaaS app that we're building to sync payments from an e-commerce platform called Neato over to zero and it's being so i'm building the code and and um you and tracy are sort of working with me to provide the accounting and bookkeeping expertise so the domain sort of domain knowledge around that and we're getting to a point now so i've been working on it for um a few months now we're at a point now where i'm trying to get it to a point where the the sort of core functionality is working so you end to end someone can sign up and do something in the app and I want to I want to get it to a stable point with a core set of functionality because I really want to get some beta testers testing out the software as soon as possible. And how are you deciding on what is important to build before it being ready for beta testing? Because there's probably tons of different features, integrations, things that you could be building. How are you making those decisions? Uh, it's. I mean, it's always a hard, hard question. You know, I had a call with a uh, a customer yesterday, or a potential customer who wanted was talking about a feature set that we're not going to get to for months, and it's frustrating to know that there's going to be all these different edge cases that we're just not going to be able to support. But you know, that my approach is that we need a small set of functionality that works really, really well, and we need to focus on 
the the core problem we're trying to solve. So, you know, like our core problem is we want to batch payments that you've received in your e-commerce store and sync those over to zero. And so it's sort of a matter for me of just working backwards from that. Like I want to get an in, a draft invoice in zero. And so I work backwards from there to say, well, if I work backwards from there to say, well, the, you know, how do I need to get that into zero? I need to build uh, something that'll create an invoice. And so I need these totals and these line items. And then I need to say, well, I need to import that data from Nido uh, and, and aggregate it. Anything else around that, like, um, for example, customizing that we use a different account for different products uh, is not sort of on that critical path. So I sort of just make a note of that and say, well, that's not, that's not, not what we're going to do for a beta release. Yeah, that, that's an interesting approach. And I liked what you were talking about with a customer wanting a particular feature set, but that's not helping achieve the primary goal at the moment, which is a core product ready for a use case and so it's tempting to go and it might not might be tempting to hear a customer say that they want something and they'll they're willing to pay for it but that's just not the priority at the moment yeah absolutely i mean if you if you try and answer yes to every request um you're never going to get finished and you're never going to ship and you know software that isn't shipped isn't useful to anyone <laughs> exactly well, let's go back a step now and I'd love to hear from you about how Crossbeam got started and how you were approaching looking for a problem. And, and I might provide some additional context here, which we can talk about later in the show, is that Matt had previously created a product called Back in Stock, which was a Shopify app and had exited from that and had a little bit of time off and then was looking for his next opportunity. And so I think it's really interesting to hear about how you were thinking about where the opportunities are. Where, where were you looking? How were you thinking about where to go to, to find what problems to solve? And then why did you decide on this problem? So, yeah, so, so the, you know, the last uh, product that I built into a business was back in stock. And that was a, an app for the Shopify platform. And I was sort of following the same path with Crossbeam. So one of the things that worked really well uh, for Back in Stock was that it was in this um, big ecosystem, which is the Shopify platform that's growing. Uh, and the other thing is that it's a ecosystem filled with um, businesses that are prepared to pay for software. So if you're running a Shopify store, you're paying a monthly fee to Shopify you're sort of by definition in business and prepared to pay uh, a monthly subscription for a SaaS app. And so that's, you know, if, if you think about, well, what sort of um, customers are best business customers who are prepared to pay for software, by saying I'm going to target the Shopify platform, you're sort of filtering down to know that they are actually um, trading, they're in business, they've got revenue if they're already paying for Shopify. So I was looking around and sort of pattern matching on that um, same category and I honed in on Zero, which is a New Zealand-based uh, SaaS accounting platform, which is growing rapidly. They've got, uh, I think it's a million businesses using it now, which means there's a you know very broad, deep market there to be able to sell uh, additional software into. And it's the same thing. If you're if you're using Zero, you're paying a monthly fee um, in the tens or or you know over a hundred dollars a month, 
and you're prepared to pay for a monthly subscription for software that will solve a problem. And so that's a good filter if you want to bootstrap a product and find a market is saying, well, these people are already prepared to pay money for something that solves their problem. If I can do the same, they'll probably pay me some money as well. And so once you identified that there might be a similar opportunity within the Zero ecosystem as to what you had experienced in the Shopify ecosystem, how did you then go about narrowing that down to, to figure out which specific problem or problems to solve? So I tried a couple of things. You know, I tried, first I went on to, I looked for the Zero group on Reddit. And I tried to trawl through there to find problems, but it wasn't a very active group. I think that's just not where people that use Zero hang out. Um, the other thing is that Zero probably different to Shopify is that the the sort of there's a much broader profile of customers. So a lot of e-commerce stores will have same set of problems generally. Um, there's, there's different segments within there, but the same sort of problems will keep coming up. Whereas a business using zero could be very different to another business using zero um, so trying to find forums that are just zero users um, didn't work very well so the next thing I did was I, I looked at the existing zero um, app store and started just reading about different different reviews in there there's also a um, public feedback and support forum that zero runs so I started reading uh, requests and complaints and things like that on there. And I came across um, a couple of things that that sort of led me to look into e-commerce. And this sounded good because I already knew e-commerce from my previous experience. And so I was uh, searching around e-commerce integrations and I came across this one for Nido. And I actually knew about Nido because they're headquartered in Brisbane, my hometown. The, but I didn't know much about the platform. I just sort of recognized the name. From there, I started searching more just on Google, and I came across a blog by Tracy Newman, uh, where she actually detailed some of the problems she had syncing Nido payments into Zero. And from there, it was a matter of um, contact, contacting her on LinkedIn, and uh, we had a chat from there. And when you were thinking about the opp- opportunity now, so you, you'd identified a problem, which was the syncing of payments from Nido across to Zero. How did you then think about, well, is this actually a good business idea to pursue? So did you do some um, back-of-the-napkin type maths? Were there any other things you were thinking about in this early stage to think, like, is this even worth considering? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the first question is how many people, you know, we've got a million or so businesses using Zero. how many use Nido, um, and how many of those also use Zero. And that's a much, much smaller number. In fact, it's, it's, it's quite small. I, th- I think it's in the hundreds uh, of businesses. Um, and then the question is, well, how much are they paying? So I looked at the existing offerings to see how much uh, they were charging. Um, I talked to Nido about, you know, contacted them and spoke to a couple of Nido, people at Nido about what they're doing. Um, and also f- uh, joined some online forums where people using Nido um, sort of post and hang out and read some of their comments. And it was a matter of, yeah, sort of sitting down and saying, well, you know, if we charge this much, can we get enough customers? And is that going to be a viable business? And for this market, it's like, it's a small market. So it's not going to be, you know, we, we don't have an addressable market of hundreds of thousands of, of businesses or stores. Um, but it's small enough and I think it's sticky enough that it is worth pursuing. 
Um, so the you know the numbers are you know the, there's there's enough there that I think it's worth doing, but it's uh, it's not going to grow to be a a, a unicorn by by uh, any means. Yeah. And I like the part there where you talked about contacting Nito, and sometimes it could feel like what you're building, especially with an integration, is actually a competitor to the primary product. But I I think from what I'm learning in this process is that the big platforms like like Zero, like Shopify, even Nito, they can't build everything that their customers want. And so in some cases, it's not really competitive. It's, it's actually in their best interest too to keep their customers happy and work with with someone else who's building a related product. And I suppose I'd been aware of that through the Zero and Shopify ecosystems in being aware of how many apps there were, but I hadn't really been as aware of it as what we're discovering now in working with Nito and it being more of a partnership than a, a competition. So was that something, I guess you'd already experienced that with Shopify, but is that something you'd recommend to other developers, or other people getting started is actually trying to work with some of it. I mean, it sounds obvious as I'm saying it, but trying to work with with some of these related businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I think you got to be careful though. Like I definitely think platform risk is a thing. Mm. And that was something that I always had in mind uh, with back in stock on the Shopify platform was that um, there's either either by, um, by intention or omission, you could find your business gone. <laughs> yes. So, you know, Sh- Shopify could... Uh, for example, bring out a competing product that does exactly what you do. And that did happen for some categories. Like if you look at cart abandonment, early on there were a few cart abandonment apps and then Shopify brought out cart abandonment built into the platform. And that would be a pretty scary uh, sort of development if you're you're running an app. Um, Now, the good news is that a, a lot of those apps are still around and have gone from strength to strength. So it's not necessarily a fatal blow but it's something to be aware of. And then the other problem is that they may change something in the platform that just technically or structurally means that your business isn't viable. So API changes, for example, maybe you can't get access to the data that you used to be able to get and they're not doing it to lock you out, but the end result is that you just can't do what you were doing anymore. So my, my thinking is, you know, it, there's definitely um, places where you can sort of exist in those ecosystems, but you need to be really aware of where you are and have an understanding of where you think the platform is going to go and, and are you working in the same direction with them? I think that's really important. And I'd like to explore platform risk a little further. And I, I guess in our case, we've, there's two platforms that, that we need to manage, which is zero and also integration. When you were running back in stock, were there things that you were thinking about in, in terms of how to manage that risk? whether it was building different products, building something off the platform, or even trying to learn more about the Shopify roadmap. How did you think about that? So I had a few attempts at it, and I wouldn't say any of them were particularly successful. So um, one thing I tried to do was to support other e-commerce platforms. So um, there is a couple of other e-commerce platforms that I added support for into back in stock. And none of them were very successful for various reasons. And I sort of did this because a lot of people told me that was a good thing to do. They were sort of, um, it's kind of hard to imagine it, but at the time people were saying, you know, what if Shopify goes out of business or you know, they're, they're this giant um, tech unicorn now, but 
uh, at the time, uh, Shopify was was more of a startup and it wasn't clear that they were going to become such a big player that they have today. So uh, people were sort of telling me, you know, you need to diversify, you need to support other platforms. And I tried doing that and it's really hard. Um, I think it, I think it could work. I think it is a reasonable strategy for certain categories, but for me, it, it didn't work very well. Uh, and I came to the opinion that if I was sort of in this Shopify ecosystem, a much better strategy would be to build other Shopify apps um, and sort of, cause I've already got customers using an existing app that are happy. So if I had other products to sell them, uh, that would be a much better strategy than trying to go off, learn a new platform, understand how it works and make a name for myself there. So that was, that was a sort of a strategy I started pursuing. I, I never found, unfortunately, I just never found the bandwidth myself to be able to build more apps. I had ideas and I even had a couple of attempts, but uh, was never able to, to do it successfully. The platform risk conversation actually reminds me of many conversations I've had with e-commerce business owners when they're solely relying on Amazon and thinking about diversifying from there. But one one conversation I had was, I thought, an interesting approach to this where this particular guy was saying, make hay while the sun's shining. And so he, he yeah. was fully aware of the risk of being so reliant on Amazon, but he was doing very well. And so he was just taking money off the table while he could, knowing that it might not last for long. And then he was ready and in a great position to move into something else if he needed to. And so he was doubling down on, on what he knew was potentially a risky channel. And he was going to later learn other skills or other markets. So I thought that was an interesting approach. I'm not necessarily saying that that's the right approach in every situation, but another way of thinking about it. And I think that that's reasonable as well in the sense that uh, you're you're also investing in yourself that way. You know, you might only have you know, a couple of years in a, in a certain platform, but the amount you're going to learn in that time means that the next time you need to go do it, it's, it's going to be much easier, going to know more about what you're doing and how to get started. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, for certain people, that's completely reasonable. And as long as you're aware of that and you're not stressed too much about it, uh, that sounds fine. I wanted to ask some more questions about having had a, a previous business and running that for many years and then starting a new business. I, I've had this conversation with a number of business owners too about all the things they do differently the second time around and the the opportunity that creates to start with a, a fresh slate and and take all of the learning from business number one and apply that. So if you think back to your journey in building back in stock, can you, I guess, give some context about the business first in terms of how big it got, um, team members, something like that, uh, if you're comfortable, and then reflect on, well, what are some of the things that you would do differently this time around? Yeah. So, I mean, back in stock was a, so it was a Shopify app that I built um, part-time, you know, nights and weekends, that sort of thing. And it grew over, I think it was seven or eight years that I ran it for, and it grew to have um, a team of four, including myself, all remote. Um, we had some really big um, Shopify stores using it. Um, we had really great retention. You know, st stores were using it for, for years and years. Um, and it, it sort of grew, you know, well beyond. I was just looking to build a SaaS app and learn about how, built, how to build a SaaS app. And it grew to become first a good sort of side income. Then it became a full-time income. And then it became a business with other people working on it and supporting them and things like that. Uh, which was all really exciting and, and a you know a great uh, 
learned a great amount doing it. In terms of what I'd do differently, probably the the biggest thing I would do is just hire sooner. I, I, I tried to do so much myself for so long, uh, partly just because I, that's how I got started doing it. Um, and I hadn't learned to hire and to delegate. And I got better at that towards the end. So I think the next time, uh, that's something I'd do sooner. Um, and also, um, I think I touched on this at the beginning, is that I'm not naturally um, sort of someone that puts myself out there or does a lot of marketing or, or, or um, sort of promoting what I'm working on. And I think sort of, yeah, spending more time focused on marketing uh, intentionally or would be something that I do do more of next time as well. Yeah. And I think there's a lot that can be learned from business exit. So exiting a business, selling or, or whatever mm. that might look like. And it's not something that we do that many times in our life. We, If we're running businesses for five or 10 years, even if we might have two, three, four, five exits across the course of our entrepreneurial journey. So it's not something that you can refine with lots of practice, I think, because it doesn't happen that often. Right, yeah. So could you share a little bit about what your exit process looked like and anything that you learned through that process? Yeah, you're right. It's it's sort of um, hard because you go, I went from knowing nothing about selling a business to knowing a little bit about selling a business. And uh, I'm not sure I'll ever use that knowledge again <laughs> in the future. So, um, but I mean, my, I think my process may be fairly common for a lot of bootstrapped SaaS apps. I um, I worked with a broker, FE International, who sort of had a look at the business. They actually had a look at it early on. Um, I met Thomas, one of the founders of FE International at MicroConf, and he sort of we had a chat and he had a look at the business and he basically said, "Look, this looks good, but we can't sell it because you're spending too much time in the business. Um, no one's going to want to buy it if the founder is is so, still so involved in it." Uh, and he gave me some some advice and some tips on what to do. And they're actually really helpful. And it's six months later, he sort of got in touch again and he said he might have uh, some interest. How are things looking? So I sort of updated him on where I was at and my numbers and things like that. And um, one of the comments he made was he was, he was impressed to see that someone had actually listened to his advice, which, which was <laughs> nice. And Because at that point, I was far less um, involved in the sort of day-to-day operations. So I'd gone from being the only one that could deploy updates to the servers to delegating all that to the team uh, and that was one of the things that I should have just done sooner it just took a while for me to sort of grow to that point where I could do it um, and and from there we you know they sort of managed the sales process it ended up uh, we spoke to a few different um, people that were interested it was acquired by Shaw Swift Capital who've bought um, quite a few different bootstrapped uh, businesses and from there, it was it was a really easy. They did a great job of, of uh, the transition. The whole team went over and uh, sort of continued running the business. And last I heard, I haven't spoken to them for a while, but last I heard, it was still growing strongly. Oh, that, that sounds like a, a real exit success story. Uh, sometimes you you hear a little bit of regret in the founder's voice, or, or things maybe didn't pan out as, as well as expected. So that that sounds like a great exit success story and there's one question I have coming out of that that ties into your earlier point around hiring staff earlier and building that team and next time around when you're you're building a new business do you think there's any particular order to hire people so would you hire developers first would you hire 
customer success, marketing, and it probably depends on the skill set of the founder as well. But in, in your situation, how would you think about the order of hiring people? Because you, if you bootstrap, you, you probably can't hire everyone that you want at once, all at once. I, I mean, I think it depends on the, you're right, it depends on the business and it depends on the founder and it depends on the market. Um, something that I think I would like to try next time is hiring someone at least part-time to do, you know, a growth or marketing role. That was something that I never really considered or did properly because I didn't, I didn't know how to measure um, sort of the results that I'd get from it. But I think that would be a really interesting approach is to, to consider hiring someone just to take over uh, managing and delivering some sort of you know, growth and marketing strategy for the business. That, that's something I'd like to try. Um, but beyond that, I think, yeah, it depends on the business. Like for, for me, it's, I think the first hire, first hire is probably going to be support just because once you get to a point, that can be quite um, a time-intensive process is doing customer support. So getting someone to, to help with that really clears your head a bit and um, lets you focus on growing the business and you know, building the product, which is what I like to do. It's interesting to hear that. I have my own framework when it comes to a service business, which is what I've had experience in building. And I've got my own opinions about the order that I would hire it again. And so with a service business, I think it's important to get the operational, so the service delivery part of what you're delivering to clients off the founder's plate. That's really important. So I would always hire that area first to free up the founder then on onboarding new clients and then generally the founder is pretty good at sales so that's often one of the later things that get handed over so it, it, yeah it's, it's interesting to think about that in in the context of different business models too yeah i think i mean with a service business though i guess the the fact that you're providing a service there's just intrinsically more um sort of client relationship stuff involved in that mm. so i I would sort of assume that, yeah, in that market, your the founder's probably going to be stronger in sales. They're forced to be. I think that's yeah. one of the, the – so running an agency is a tough, tough gig. They talk about this on the Tropical MBA podcast, and if you can do that well, that's one of the real tests of entrepreneurship. And it might not be the ideal business to scale, but it is a good – learning ground because you're you are forced to have to learn how to sell yourself but sell services and adapt to scope changes and, and those kind of things definitely i think building a SaaS is hard but i always look at agencies and think that much that looks much much harder <laughs> i'll stick with SaaS things so if we bring it back to crossbeam we've talked about how you identified the problem and and looked at the business opportunity and then what you've been working on to get the product ready for beta testing. Now let's look to the future. So what are you expecting to be working on for the next couple of weeks? So we're just this week, we're at a point where we've had some, so I've got some feedback internally from Tracy. So she's the tax accountant that is that we're, uh, I'm working with to, she sort of wrote that original blog post that highlighted the problems with the current offering um, for Nido merchants. She had some feedback a couple of weeks ago around handling payments um, and how to post uh, different things to zero. So we're at the point, I think by the end of the day, where you'll be able to log in to Crossbeam, import payments from Nido, um, press a button and you get a draft invoice in zero. And for me, that's sort of a pretty crucial milestone that's an end the end-to-end -end flow is working it might be missing a few of oh, nice nice bells and whistles and things like that but we've actually got um, a bit of software that 
solves the problem that we're trying to solve, which means yeah. uh, from next week, I really want to start looking for some uh, merchants to try it out. And this could be that they don't, you know, they're not actually using it uh, in their day-to-day business, but they might um, hook it up and just start importing payments and they could use it like a reporting tool and have a look and say, yeah, these these figures look correct or these figures don't make sense. And that would be great feedback for us. Um, there's there's other things that um, is it, that we, there's always things that you need to deal with uh, when you're sort of hooking platforms together. So there's going to be things like, you know, we might find that someone tries to connect their zero account and they don't have the right permissions. And how do we um, catch that scenario and feed it back? That sort of stuff is the sort of thing that you really find out quickly once you start getting real people using the software. Yeah. So, and that's why getting to that point of let's get this into the hands of users is is important. But I think it's different to building software five or 10 years ago, because I think there's a lot more competition in the SaaS space and, and people's expectations of what the product, what it can do, but also the look and feel and experience, their, their expectations are much higher than I would say five or 10 years ago when there weren't as many options yeah. around. And so I think it, it's that never-ending question around well, what what exactly is needed or how good does it need to be before it's in the hands of users. Definitely. I, th- I think the, the bar just keeps going up and up. Um, but, you know, if, if you've got users that really need to get, you know, if they're running a business and they've got a problem, um, you don't need... I My approach is that I'd rather just solve the problem mm-hmm. well um, and we may not need a fancy logo or, a, mm-hmm. you know, great custom theme or anything like that. We just need to actually solve the problem well to begin with, and from there we can we can improve. I think you've summed that up really nicely, and regular listeners of the podcast will know that we talk often about the seven day startup and, and startup methodology generally, more, more related to service businesses. Our, our conversations have previously than to building software, but I think yeah, there's so many elements that are similar about just trying to get to market quickly, solve a problem, and and then. Uh, fix the rest later as you learn and and iterate so it's really interesting to see or for me to see how this is applying to software having applied it to other businesses so next i wanted to share some context some of the listeners might be thinking well we've we've heard about what matt's working on but mera what are you doing are you you actually contributing here and so so i'm still running beanages and also working with tracy on the merger of, of Cloud Canada coming into the Bean Ninjas group. So I am involved in Crossbeam as well. And as Matt said, providing some of those accounting insights, although Tracy is more of that e-commerce accounting expert than I am. And then I'm also thinking about how we're going to sell this product. And so that's where I'm focusing. Um, but the majority of my time at, on, at the moment is is still on the core Bean Ninjas business. And so what I've been working on the last couple of weeks, which is a, a, a fun project, has been setting up a tool called Notion to house the, the Bean Ninjas Knowledge Hub. We've got two new accountants starting in the next couple of weeks. And so organising or reorganising all of our policies, procedures, our key documents, and, and setting all of that up in, in Notion so that it's really easy to find things that's that's the core project I've been working on as well as a website refresh. So it doesn't really tie in with the the building of software. Um, 
but I'm planning to share more about what I'm learning as I get better at using Notion, which is a, a pretty popular tool. And Matt, something that you, a tool that you use as well. Yeah, I've used it a little bit. Um, I find it's, yeah, it's sort of, it's great. I, lo- I mean, I love something where I can just write stuff down and send someone a link uh, and they can edit along with me and add comments. Um, I, I always get a little bit lost because I feel like maybe it's too unstructured for me. Uh, but the, then I see some of the stuff that people produce with it and it's pretty impressive. I'm about to start a course called Building a Second Brain, which is all about personal knowledge management. And so I'm planning to use Notion to for that. So I'll, I'll give an update on that in the next episode. So I think we're, we've probably recorded for a good amount of time and, and covered some good ground. Matt, is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up for this episode? No, I don't think so. Other than if you are a Neato merchant and you'd like to try out Crossbeam or give us some feedback, go to crossbeam.app and uh, put your email address in because we'd love to talk to you. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much, Matt, for coming on the Bean Ninjas podcast. And we'll be chatting again in a couple of weeks to give you another update. Thanks, Meryl.